0: Hi, and welcome to Anatomy. Today, we're looking at the folk medicine and folk beliefs centered around one ingredient, garlic. Then we'll talk a bit about the medical history of garlic, which is surprisingly very vast. And finally, we're going to cap it all off with research on the plant and which historical beliefs are actually backed by science. And right at the very end, I'm going to propose a theory on why I think vampires don't like garlic in light of all the research. Anatomyth is a podcast about stories, conjecture, and the human body. Humans have long been using stories as a way to make sense of the world around them. This podcast looks at these stories, the myths, legends, lore, and fairy tales, and tries to find an aspect of medicine that fits in with certain aspects of fiction. I'm Audrey, your host. I'm a medical student who's always been interested in such stories, and I love looking for connections, even though they sometimes don't exist. Please remember that any recommendations I might make shouldn't be taken too seriously. I'm not yet a medical professional, and what I say shouldn't be counted as medical advice. Likewise, the proposed link between myth and medicine shouldn't be counted as fact. This is a podcast that's primarily for entertainment purposes, and it's filled with speculation and conjecture. This is episode nine, Smells Like Teen Spirit. We're doing things a little differently today. Normally, I first talk about a couple of myths, folk tales, or maybe creatures or characters. But this time, instead of talking about specific stories involving garlic, we're going to look more at the beliefs surrounding this plant, mostly in folklore and folk medicine. Now, I'm a very big fan of folk medicine. I think that you get a pretty mixed lot when it comes to folk remedies. Sometimes it's a treatment that actually works, and I don't mean in the way that a placebo works. There's been a large trend in research over the last 10 or 20 years of researchers searching for, and sometimes finding, some kind of medical basis for some of the plants and tinctures that are used in traditional and folk medicine. And sometimes the touted treatments are so wild and insane, but admittedly creatively so, that it kind of makes you wonder how people came up with the ideas in the first place. And the answer to that is probably the same way that they came up with all the other creatively insane myths and legends that we know and love. I found that garlic, the almost universal folk medicine cure-all for both human and supernatural ailments, falls into both of these categories. We'll get into the many scientifically proven pharmacological properties of garlic in a bit, but first, let's talk about the protection that garlic affords against the myriad creatures of the night. Probably the best known creature that garlic wards off is the bloodthirsty vampire. We all know the type. Pale, sharp teeth, walks around at night almost exclusively in fancy operatic clothing, may or may not sparkle, but this is more of a modern version of the vampire. Vampires are one of the oldest and most widespread mythical creatures out there, and they weren't always flesh and blood. Some of the earliest descriptions of vampires were of cannibalistic ghosts, shadows, or even evil spirits. Some say that vampires aren't exactly undead creatures themselves, but rather spirits who possess dead bodies to prey on the living. The ancient Egyptians, for example, believed in vampiric ghosts, who would suck out a sleeping child's breath or life force. Wreaths of garlic could be used as protection against such an attack. You could even mix ground-up garlic and beer and sprinkle that around the house. This would ward off not only ghosts, But also the more corporeal and mundane snakes and scorpions. As for your more modern vampires, not only are they warded off by garlic, but when you decapitate one, you can stuff its mouth with garlic and spread more around its coffin, to ensure that it'll never get up to no good again. Or at the very least, it'll wake up with garlic breath, I'm assuming. Placing garlic in a dead person's coffin would also prevent them from turning into a ghost, which may be a callback to the earlier belief in ghostly vampires. Vampires aren't the only undead creatures that garlic wards off. The bulb is also said to be apotropaic against werewolves. The general idea seems to be that this is based on werewolves' exceptional sense of smell, and so they wouldn't be very happy with something with such a strong, pungent odor as garlic. And here's one thing that I find interesting. Some legends say that a werewolf, once killed, can come back as a vampire. It kinda adds a new spin to the vampire-werewolf rivalry that's become really prominent in pop culture over the last couple of decades. Garlic also protects against witchcraft and sorcery. To the ancient Germanic people, witches would not eat garlic. These witches, who would open up sleeping men and eat their hearts, were thought to be a lot more active around the season of Lent. So at Shrovetide, which is about the three days before Lent, people would smear garlic all over themselves as a precaution. The Anglo-Saxons incorporated garlic into talismans that would prevent one from being ridden by the mare or hag. This is a reference to the nightmare or night hag which I've talked a bit about in the first episode. The hag is a woman, a witch, sometimes a ghost, who would ride sleeping men to their deaths. In the Odyssey, Odysseus escapes from Circe's enchantment thanks to molly, a magical herb given to him by Hermes. There's a lot of controversy as to what molly really is, because of course we would debate the real-life version of a mythical-slash-fictional plant which, to be fair, is kind of what I'm doing in this podcast. But anyway, some scholars claim that molly is a kind of garlic, but there are other claims that it could be another plant, the snowdrop. According to Claude Le Coteau, and quite literally pardon my French, the Romani believed that the spirit of a witch could transform into a worm, which could enter into a person's body and devour their heart from inside. A way to protect yourself from this horrible fate is to rub garlic on your body before going to bed. The only source that I have for this is really from the author's book on Romani mythology. So if you find another source that proves this, disproves this, this, if you know if it's true or not, do let me know. But I mention this because garlic does have antiparasitic properties, which we'll get into a bit later. Garlic can also be used to detect witches. Just as you'd be able to identify vampires by the fact that they won't eat garlic, some in the Balkans say that witches never eat garlic because they can't stand the smell. Now, you may have heard of the evil eye, which brings illness, injury, bad luck, and even death. It can be countered with amulets, charms, specific gestures, and even certain plants. Garlic was the plant of choice in North America, Carried around either as an entire bulb or in cloves, When hung over the doorway or placed in a baby's crib, garlic also served a similar purpose in the folklore of Persia, Greece, and some other parts of Europe. This bulb wasn't the only thing placed in infants' cribs to protect them. Some say that knives and other sharp objects could also be placed inside the crib with a child, And honestly, I can't vouch for the safety and wisdom of placing a sharp object in a crib with an infant, so I think it's best to stick to garlic. Either way, this placing of garlic and some sharp iron instrument in the cribs also protected unbaptized children from being carried away by the fairies. We know that it's not just fairies and ghosts who can come after people, but sometimes demons and evil spirits do so as well. The ancient Egyptians believed that garlic and honey were bitter to the dead, and could be used against demons who brought disease and harm upon children. In Romania, garlic juice was used to paint the sign of the cross on doors and windows in order to ward off evil spirits. And in Transylvania, it's said that those who ate garlic on the eve of Christian celebrations wouldn't have to worry about ghostly hauntings. I could go on and on about the apotropaic properties given to garlic, but basically, it was your all-in-one protection against the evil and unsavory living, undead, and incorporeal. Not to mention how many people, regular people, would stay away from you if you, like the ancient Germanic people at Shrovetide, used garlic in the same way that a teenager would use Axe body spray. Throughout history, garlic was also used as a cure for a wide variety of physical ailments. The Ebers papyrus, which is an Egyptian medical papyrus dating to about the 1500 BCE, indicates the use of garlic against circulatory diseases and parasites, among quite a few other things. The ancient Sumerians also prescribed a whole bunch of healing properties to garlic, The ancient Chinese used garlic to treat everything from headaches to fatigue, depression, parasitic infections, and diarrhea. Garlic is even used in prominent Indian healing traditions, such as Ayurveda. Various ancient Indian medical texts and manuscripts mention garlic's uses in treating infections, infestations, fatigue, heart disease, and many more. This bulb may also have been one of the first performance-enhancing drugs. The ancient Greeks and Romans believed that garlic imparted courage and strength, and it was eaten by soldiers and athletes before going to battle or running a race. It was even believed that someone who chewed garlic during a foot race would outrun all the others, which could lead to a pretty messy situation if everyone running that race was chewing garlic. This actually makes me wonder what the attitude towards performance enhancers in sports was back in the day. Like, was it more of a resigned, well, everyone does it, kind of thing? Or did they at some point rigorously test for garlic chewing with something like a breathalyzer? Anyway, between Pliny the Elder, Hippocrates, Galen, Dioscorides, and probably at least half a dozen other physicians, Garlic was regarded as a panacea in Greek and Roman medicine, used as an antidote to poison, treatment for animal bites, parasites, and disorders of everything, from arteries to the liver and the gastrointestinal tract, and even seizures. The Assyrians used garlic vapors to reduce body temperature. Tea prepared from garlic was also used as a poultice and a remedy for constipation, and mixtures with garlic as an antiparasitic. The Anglo-Saxons took a more well-rounded approach, using garlic together with prayers, charms, or sometimes even bloodletting to treat ear and tooth infections, swells, boils, and gastrointestinal problems. Arabic physicians in the Middle Ages contributed a lot to the use of garlic as a remedy, and in the medieval and renaissance periods in Europe, garlic was used for blood pressure control, parasites, digestive problems, kidney diseases, and preventing the plague, among other things. Why the plague? Well, this goes back to the theory of miasmas, or foul odors. You got the plague by inhaling this foul odor, and so what better prevention than a very strong-smelling plant? And let's be real, using garlic as an eau de toilette would probably be a really effective social distancing tool. Even the Vikings and Phoenicians would stock garlic on their ships for medicinal purposes, and St. Hildegard von Bingen, in the latter part of the 12th century, recommended raw garlic to treat many illnesses, concluding that it was way more effective than cooked garlic. Even in more modern times, garlic's still been used for a lot of medicinal purposes. In 1878, John Gunn published his Home Book of Health. In this volume, he details garlic's uses as a diuretic, treatment for infections, and also for respiratory issues like cough and asthma. Up until the 20th century, much of North America and Great Britain still used garlic as a cure for colds and other respiratory ailments. The trenches of World War I also saw garlic used to treat wounds and also moss dipped in garlic juice as an antiseptic. This is nowhere near an exhaustive list of all of garlic's medicinal uses over the last few centuries. At some point, garlic was even used as a pregnancy test, although probably not a very accurate one. But I chose to focus on these properties because, well, you can see for yourselves that there's a good number of similarities in garlic usage. Seeing the same healing properties cropping up over and over again made me wonder if there was maybe some truth to any of it. And I'm not the only person who thought that. Over the next few minutes, we'll look at the research done on garlic's health benefits and we'll try to summarize the many, many studies. But first, a message from our sponsors. While we're on the topic of cure-alls, here's one drug that you always want to have lying around the house, mummy powder. Mix it in your drink or apply it straight to your skin as a paste. It cures everything from headaches to wounds and even tumors. And make sure that you avoid all those fake mummy powders out there with Corpse Fresh, you're sure that your finely ground powder is made from the bones of authentic, centuries-old embalmed bodies. And we're even introducing our new limited edition premium line, sourced directly from the tombs of dead pharaohs. Corpse Fresh, what some call grave robbing, we call medicine. There are loads of bioactive components in your average garlic bulb and many of them have different pharmacological activities which have been demonstrated in studies. Many of these, I'm not gonna lie, I had difficulty pronouncing the first time. I mean, you know how chemical compounds are. There are far too many syllables and they have numbers mixed in because why should algebra have all the fun with alphanumeric terms? But looking at the apotropaic properties of garlic in terms of mythical creatures, because this is still a myth and folklore podcast, I noticed that whenever mentioning the why of garlic's protective prowess, it was generally ascribed to the plant's smell. Werewolves found the odor too powerful, witches couldn't stand the smell, and even plague doctors believed that its scent was strong enough to chase the foul smell of the plague away. So I thought that I'd focus on allicin, the compound that's responsible for garlic's very particular scent. I don't know if you've ever tried smelling an intact garlic bulb, but if you have, you'll know that it doesn't really smell like much. This is because allicin, which as I've already mentioned, gives off that distinctive garlic smell, doesn't naturally exist in the uncrushed clove. Allicin is derived from alien, which through tissue damage, like say crushing a garlic clove, comes into contact with the enzyme alinase. The product of this reaction is the active ingredient allicin. Many, and I do mean many, studies have demonstrated the broad range of allicin's pharmacological activities. So we'll take this one at a time, very briefly, and I probably won't be able to talk about all of them because there's just too much information and too little time. First off, garlic for heart and circulatory diseases, as well as blood pressure regulation. Allicin lowers serum cholesterol, particularly LDL or low-density lipoprotein. LDL cholesterol is actually one of the most important factors when it comes to evaluating risk of cardiac disease. Cholesterol is a contributing factor to atherosclerosis, and in atherosclerosis, you have a buildup of plaque in the arteries. This can eventually lead to narrowing, and when very severe, can lead to stroke, ischemic heart disease, and other cardiovascular diseases. There's also research which shows that garlic can lead to a decrease in blood pressure in hypertensive patients, a reduction which is comparable to what you'd get from hypertensive medication. And if you're not hypertensive and are a little scared that eating too much garlic will lower your blood pressure too much, don't worry. A meta-analysis of 20 clinical trials showed that garlic didn't have much of an effect on normotensive people, basically those who have normal blood pressure. And anyway, most of these trials didn't use cooked garlic, but rather garlic powder or aged garlic extract. I just found it really interesting that you can have something which would lower blood pressure if it's too high, but doesn't affect those with normal blood pressure. Rat studies have also shown that allicin administration led to a pretty significant decrease in blood glucose or blood sugar levels. This indicates its potential use as an anti-diabetic agent. Also, there are different types of diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease. What this means is your body basically goes friendly fire. And you have autoantibodies which attack the cells producing insulin. No insulin means there's no glucose uptake into the cells, which is where you need the glucose. And so you've got all this glucose just kind of hanging around in your blood. Why am I talking about this? Well, one study showed that in addition to lowered blood glucose levels, There was also a reduction in these autoantibodies, meaning that garlic might also provide some protection against the autoimmune destruction in type 1 diabetes. One property of garlic, which isn't specifically mentioned in most, if not all, of the historical texts, is that allicin has anti-tumor activity. And I am talking about tumor in the cancer sense. I'm not saying that eating a garlic bulb a day will get rid of cancer. Like, seriously, please don't do that. The only effect that'll have is probably on your breath. But for some types of cancer, in particular mammary, endometrial, stomach, liver, and colon cancer, studies have shown that allicin managed to either stop the proliferation of cancer cells or even cause their death. Many of these studies were done in vitro, though which means that they weren't done in a human body, or really in any living body, but rather in this artificial contained environment. There are a few animal experiments, which showed that allicin enhances the response to chemotherapeutic agents, but these still aren't studies done on humans. Allicin is also responsible for the antibacterial and antifungal properties of garlic, It turns out that the antimicrobial activities, which specific bacteria and fungi garlic works against, depends on the variety of garlic. The processing method also plays a role. Raw garlic, garlic oil, and aged garlic extract are all protective against different microbes. Allicin also works against other infections. Remember all those mentions of garlic as an antiparasitic agent? That's backed by science, too. Allicin affects many common intestinal parasites, like Entamoeba histolytica, Giardia lamblia, and some Plasmodium and Trypanosoma species. Other non-allicin compounds that can be isolated from garlic are also effective against some other parasites. So I remember seeing a meme making the rounds at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic about how leaving garlic and or onion depending on the version, in your room would somehow suck up the virus. I'm not entirely sure what the rationale behind this was. Plants are not some sort of dehumidifier for viruses. And while I haven't yet found any studies regarding the efficacy or inefficacy of garlic against this novel coronavirus, studies have shown that some other viruses, such as herpes simplex types one and two, Influenza B, human rhinovirus type 2, and human cytomegalovirus are sensitive to allicin and also a handful of other components of garlic. Just by the names influenza and rhinovirus, I think it's pretty clear that these are viruses that can lead to illnesses with cold-like and other respiratory symptoms, which could bear out garlic's usage against respiratory ailments in the past. Of course, this generally involves ingesting the garlic in some way, instead of just having it lying around like an aromatic table centerpiece. And speaking of the use of garlic as a home fragrance, there's some talk of garlic being an effective mosquito repellent. I tried so hard to find studies that would corroborate this, because I figured, well, mosquitoes, they're kind of like our own little flying blood suckers, an insect vampire, if you will. And so it would be really cool if garlic put mosquitoes off of our scent, but I couldn't find anything. Absolutely nothing which would back this claim up. There have been a number of studies done on the effect of garlic, and allicin in particular, on malaria, though. Malaria is a parasitic infection that's transmitted through mosquito bites, and it can be pretty serious. We've already talked a bit about allicin as an antiparasitic, and what these studies which were done on mice, show, is that allison does have an inhibitory effect on malarial infection. Again, these are only just animal studies. While the mosquito repellent was a bust, I may have found something on repelling ticks. Ticks, another insect which sucks your blood, can also transmit a bacterial infection called Lyme disease. In their August 16, 2000 issue, The Journal of the American Medical Association published a research letter on the use of garlic to prevent tick bites in the Swedish military. The results showed that there were less tick bites in those who consumed garlic than those who didn't. But besides another study on the potential antibacterial effects of garlic on the bacteria responsible for Lyme disease, I couldn't find anything else on the whole tick repellent situation. Maybe we'll see more in the next few years. This isn't where allicin, and more generally garlic's, properties end. Research has shown some protective effects on the liver, heart, kidneys, and even neurons. And again, many of these studies were done either in vitro or in rats or mice. And so while the results may seem promising, it's not a guaranteed fact that they're going to work the same way in the human body. Of course, with all of these advantages, there's also some disadvantages and adverse effects. A big challenge when it comes to phytochemicals or chemicals derived from plants is that there are issues with the stability of the compound as well as its bioavailability, how much of the compound is actually going to be absorbed into the body and is available to do what we want it to. And there are also issues with processing. I've already mentioned how some studies used aged extracts of allicin, or raw garlic, and how the antibacterial and antifungal effects of garlic changes with the processing method. So processing can be anything from cooking, heating, aging. And remember how St. Hildegard von Bingen mentioned that raw garlic seemed to work better than cooked garlic? Well, when it comes to garlic's antioxidant capacities, The raw kind does so much better than cooked garlic. And allicin's not the only active component of garlic which changes with processing. A study actually found that about 38 different active components of garlic are changed with heating. And I mentioned a bit about the side effects or adverse effects of garlic. So side effects range from mild, such as odor, obviously, and gastrointestinal discomfort, so like stomach pain or bloating, for example, but it can be a bit more severe. There may be allergic reactions, for example, which, again, can be anything from mild to anaphylactic, which is where your face gets all puffy and you have a hard time breathing. And anaphylaxis is actually considered a medical emergency. One particularly interesting effect of garlic in these studies has to do with the blood. Garlic can alter platelet function, Platelets are these tiny components in the blood which serve to stop bleeding. When you have a wound, platelets, they get all sticky and they clump together to form a platelet plug so that you don't bleed out. Not only does allicin alter platelet function, but it also adds to the effects of drugs like warfarin and aspirin, which are essentially blood thinners. Because of this, allicin can be used for antiplatelet actions, so times when we don't want blood clots to form, but because it does increase the risk of bleeding, it can result in hemorrhages and other bleeding complications in surgery, and patients with bleeding issues should generally avoid excessive intake of allicin. And it might be silly, but this whole blood thinner effect leads me to wonder, is this the reason why vampires don't like garlic? I don't claim to know much about vampire anatomy, but hypothetically speaking, the allison in garlic could potentially thin any blood that vampires may or may not have. I mean, I don't know. I would love to hear your take on this. But otherwise, that's where we'll leave it for this episode. Next month, we're tackling Sudden Unexpected Nocturnal Death Syndrome, and the specific creatures or spirits who kill people, primarily men, in their sleep by sitting on them. They're not exactly nightmare creatures or night hags, but if I were to come up with some sort of genealogy or classification system for creatures of folklore, I'd definitely say that they were relatives of the nightmare creatures, or at the very least that they belong to the same family or genus. If you like the show, Please follow it on your preferred podcast app and please consider rating the show and leaving a review. It gets the word out about the show and I really appreciate getting feedback from all of you. Also, tell your friends about it. You can also reach the show on social media, whether to suggest a topic, talk about what your favorite apotropaic or healing property of garlic is, or just say hi. Also, let me know what you think of my vampire versus blood thinner hypothesis. Also, whether or not you think that vampires have any blood at all. You can find the show on Twitter, at AnatomythPod, and on Instagram and Facebook, at Anatomyth. You can also send an email to audrey at anatomyth.com, links to the website and social media are in the show notes. I'm Audrey, your host, and this was Anatomyth. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.